Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hey, what's up, man? It is good to see you. It feels like it's been a minute. Yeah, I guess it sort of has been. I, I'm trying to think. There was some travels and and uh, we, uh, you know, we let the customary you know gestation period from our last few episodes really let each of them breathe. So yeah, I feel like from for you and I actually getting together in person or or at least over uh, over the pod is it's been a it's been at least a, a few days. Yeah, definitely. So. You know, I appreciate your forbearance last week. Usually we would have recorded. We had, you know, some family issues and stuff like that on my end. Um, and that's, you know, sorted to the extent that that's sortable. And then, uh, yeah, we're kind of in uh, in drive on mode now, which is a good thing. But we with an ounce of luck, uh, the editing on this, I almost don't want to say it because I don't want to jinx anything. But if I can get the editing and stuff like that done, we might be able to drop this and really only have it be one or two days late. Yeah, that's not too bad. And uh, I know that people are clamoring for the next episode of The Spirit of Time, and we got to give the people what they want. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, I joking aside, I think, you know, the, the wrist cheese boys have joked for the longest time that they have like seven listeners, then slowly that became eight. And I think now it's like 16. And I think we're no, the whiskey, whiskey and watches, right? Yeah, you're right. Sorry, sorry. You know, we that's all part of the watch pot alliance. It's all all in the family. But yeah, exactly. Um are the basically the audience and the listenership is is trending upwards it's just kind of cool um you know in the last episode with cameron went very well so i think we got a lot of great feedback on that and yeah that it's always good to catch up with that guy because he's got some interesting stuff going on he's got a pretty interesting life and he knows an f ton about watches man yeah, he really does. And it's, every time we post the the agave dial, I swear there's about ten more people on his like petition list to bring it back. And so, in either another limited edition run, or I'm sure they would love it to be a standard, you know, a standard color option. I, I don't see that happening. But anyway, his the petition list keeps growing. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, as you know, as an owner of one of the very limiteds, I kind of don't want that exact color to come back. But I think right. he's got he's got a future in doing some of those fun colors. He could do one of those, I think, every year easily and, you know, have that work. Yeah, you know, it didn't occur to me until we talked to him about it. But then as I was reflecting on it, I'm like, yeah, of course, he's put out a lot of different interesting, unique, you know, uh, I don't want to say one offs, but sort of special offs. And uh, just listening to him talk about his process for finding inspiration uh, for dial colors was pretty cool because we think of him, or at least I do, so much off the bat as, you know, a technical watchmaker, because of course he is, uh, but he's also, you know, he's an artist. And uh, so his his ability to, to think up those interesting um, and unique, um, you know, dial colors was, was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, you figure that's got to be a big part of the expression, right? And these, the watches that he makes, I mean, these are nothing particularly avant-garde. These are the kind of things that are just meant to be really timeless, classic designs. And to throw like a little bit of a curveball and have some fun colors in there, 
I think is really cool, especially with that sort of that Flieger esque handset that he's got on there. Um, I know. Have you have you ever seen or did you see when he did them? They were this was before he moved, you know, to uh, to Tennessee. But he did a couple of dial colors that were like limited edition based on um, uh, Land Rover. Yep. With different like, you know, fonts for the numeric indices. And they were really, really cool. I know our buddy Summer Eskimo would really want one of those. Um, I think, uh, I don't want to speak for him, but I think Jason Heaton probably would be on a short list for one of those. And it seems like something automotive would be, you know, just very subtle, just maybe a different font or something like that, um, you know, with one of his color choices is probably pretty fertile ground for him to explore. Yeah, for sure. And he's an automotive person himself. So I think that would probably speak, you know, uh, directly to him. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe land cruiser next time or old international colors. So yeah, cool. Well, Hey man, do you want to do a, uh, a little wrist check, poor check? This is a watch podcast after all. And we talk about booze too. So Sure do. Uh, should I dive right in? Hit it. So on the wrist, um, hadn't been worn for a little while. I don't know if for any particular reason, but um, sort of jumped at me today, this morning. I have the Oris uh, 80th anniversary pointer uh, date in bronze. That's the uh, the green dial, 40 millimeter format. Um, right now it's on a Hovig's uh, Horween. Cordovan uh, strap, and it's this sort of green and brown marble. Um, so shout out to Natalie for always having amazing straps, and shout out to Chase who was it, it continues to operate as the strap whisperer. He, he he kind of spotted this combo and said we need to make sure this gets on onto that watch, and he's right. So get the bronze hardware on the uh, on the buckle. Patina's coming in nicely. It's probably probably in short you know, uh, has a short lifetime as the weather starts ramping up. I'm probably going to put it back on the uh, bronze bracelet, which I got a few months ago. It'll just sort of, uh, it'll probably just work a little bit better for summer, even though bronze, ironically, you don't want to be sweating your, sweating your wrist off <laughs> while wearing bronze, but at the same time, bronze, but at the same time, I think it, uh, it'll hold up better in, in short bursts than, than maybe a, a leather strap will. Well, speaking of leather strap, I mean, I just saw you held up the watch and I'm kind of seeing how it's progressing in terms of the color it's taken on. And I mean, that's, those are 20 millimeter lugs, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I've got a boon strap for that. You know what? I actually have put it on your boon strap uh, once. I want to say you left it on something else for me and, okay. and I was feeling frisky. And so I did put it on there for approximately 25 minutes. Oh man. Okay. I took a well, photo. There's photo evidence. All right. All right. Sometimes that's all it takes, man. Well, that's good <laughs> stuff. You got to try it at least once. That's what they all say. Got to try something at least once. Um, in the glass, uh, again, I guess I was feeling a little, you know, the weather's finally ramping up. We're not going to get into weather talk, but for those who are in and around Southern California, we have not had our customary weather into spring, winter. It was sort of, and so people are going to roll their eyes if they're from elsewhere, probably, but so finally, spring feels like it had feels like it had sprung. So I'm drinking an Aperol tequila sour. Um, Ooh! I was making Aperol spritzes all weekend. It was Mother's Day, and I have Aperol in the cabinet. And I'm like, I gotta be able to put this with tequila somehow. And gotta say, pretty tasty. Oh, I can only imagine what uh, what's the tequila in there? 
I just used, uh, oh gosh, what did I use? Tequila Grand Classico. I think that they, they sell it by the liter. I needed large quantities for, for the weekend. Right. Um, so nothing special on the, on the tequila side. Plus to be honest with you, I mean, the tequila stands up to the Aperol, but the Aperol is a pretty strong profile. So I don't know how much more there would be to gain from using something, you know, more special or elevated. Perhaps, um, I'm willing to find out. Sorry. I'm just watching you take a sip. It looks good. That's a winner. I think you would like it. Right on. Well, I have to try it. You shoot me over the recipe. I am, uh, I am wearing the new to me. Actually, I guess it's new ish. Yeah, for Um, sure. Yeah. This was the, uh, Imperial watch company was kind enough to send us one of the Royal guard. This was the previous run. So I think I want to say, you know, in, in real terms as we're recording, I think maybe like tomorrow, tomorrow, I think, I think, yeah, he's he's dropping some new stuff. Yeah, yep, May yep. 16. So by the time this comes out, it will already have happened, I reckon. But and yeah, I believe you have be... like a three day window to get sort of like the cream of the crop pricing. Okay, that's uh, that is good to know. Well, anyway, I I ended up liking this watch so much. I I sort of joking around said I I don't think I'm going to send it back. So at some point, I I just basically sent a message and was like, Hey, uh, <laughs> can I keep this? I'll pay for it <laughs> and. This, this watch is now, um, on my, you know, sort of my signature Sage NATO here. I just absolutely love this thing. It's, it's, it's basically, I mean, it's scaphograph vibes, right? It's not like anything else that's out there. It's not like anything that's been made in a long time. The color is really, really punchy for the loom. I love kind of the, the alternating like circular and then the big, big triangular, and they're kind of pointing outboard, you know, at, at 12, three, six, and nine those markers, just a, a ton of loom, a lot of character on this thing. And the, that kind of ghosted blue bezel is such a great choice. It, it matches it really well. Um, this watch is an absolute banger at 38. I mean, I'm not one of these, especially for dive watches. I don't have to have a smaller, smaller, smaller watch, but you know, I'm, I'm basically, I've got a skinny wrist. This wears really nicely for something that's a, you know, a 20 millimeter, uh, lug width. Absolutely dig it. You know, um, it's, this is a small brand. It's a micro brand, right? I mean, this is a, uh, a it is a Seiko, right? Not a Miyota. I uh, had this one down and now I'm like, I know I was thinking of somebody else saying Miyota today. It is a Seiko. I think so too. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's in terms of like the feature set, it's what you'd expect. Um, case finishing, I think is probably better than normal. The, you know, the bezel is Okay. But in every other respect, just super cool. Price is, you know, absolutely right. And uh, yeah, I dig it. Very I cool. I think it's really fun. I'm so glad that you're holding on, holding on to it. And the people behind the brand are really responsive and uh, and quite frankly, super friendly. So feel free to reach out to them and, and interact with them. Um, yeah, I mean, the scaphograph, it's, 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 the DNA is all, you know, is, is throughout. Um, I love how the handset matches up with the loom plots. Uh, yeah, I mean, directly, I think the triangle of the triangle of the one hand sort of nests into the big triangle markers, but then the lollipop, I think fits directly into the, the loom plots. Um, just really well done. Super fun. Um, I love, I like it. I like it a lot. I, I'm excited for their release and, uh, it sounds like a lot of people are going to be checking it out. Funny story, Matt, um, you mentioned summer earlier, so we'll give our, our friends at the out of time podcast a shout. 
uh, Josh had messaged me when he saw that we first posted it. He said, make sure I see that before it goes back. And I, I told him, well, I think you're going to have a little time because I don't think Matt's letting it go back. I, I think it'll be around for you to check out. So Josh, we'll, we'll get it over and you can check it out as well. Yeah, absolutely, Josh. We can do a deal. But uh, so that is what is on the wrist and what is in the glass. I'm still like, literally, I don't know if you can hear this. I've got it. <laughs> I took this out of the freezer, basically. So let's uh, let's strain this right out. This is a an unusual cocktail. Look at this color. Ooh. Now we're talking. Yep, yep, yep. I'm floating a uh, like a two millimeter thick slice of lime on top of this thing. And this is, uh, hang on, I'm going to have a sip of this. Oh, that's refreshing. It's very citrusy. This is the, uh, the Bacardi cocktail. And that's literally the name of the cocktail. There is no Bacardi in it, but as you can guess, it is a, uh, a rum based cocktail. It is, it, I think it, it fits the high West saloon standard criteria. It has three ingredients. This is basically, you know, a, uh, a quality white rum, uh, a little bit of, although the color is so punchy, even with just a little bit, um, there's different things you can do, you know, with this as far as, uh, the color, but basically this calls for, um, oh my God, I want to say grenadine, but that's not right. Sounds right. No. Yeah. The, uh, basically, or you can do like a maraschino syrup. You know, so the, 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 if you have dregs in the bottom of a, uh, let's say a Luxardo jar or what have you, and this is actually a tiny bit of both I'm experimenting and that's the color. And you're talking like a half ounce combined for that. And then, um, the remainder is, uh, just uh, fresh citrus. In this case, it's just, um, fresh squeezed lime that's strained. And then I put that all over ice, give it a good shake, let it sit for a minute. But yeah, you can see that even relative to the amount of like colorant in there, I mean, it really takes on this sort of ruby translucence, but at the same time, it does not taste sweet. You know, if anything, I could probably tone down the citrus in there. Really, really good cocktail, especially I can imagine this being great when it's hot. It looks very sophisticated. It's in a martini glass is how I've served it. And, uh, my understanding is that the Bacardi cocktail was a big deal, like in the thirties and forties, you know, it was a, uh, uh, a, not a cosmopolitan, like a, the cosmopolitan drink, but you know, something that, you know, a sophisticate would order at a nice bar or, uh, you know, a supper club, nightclub, that kind of thing. The color's fantastic. It sounds delicious. Um, it's, uh, that looks really nice. And I think you could continue to even play with garnishes too. And if you really wanted to step up presentation wise, it would, the contrast between whatever garnishes you would potentially use and, and the, and the cocktail itself would be really fun. Yeah. And this is a, again, this is a white rum I've used, um, Kohana rum. This is that, um, made in Hawaii, you know, Hawaiian cane sugar rum. Um, I got that, uh, I won't say against the advice, but, uh, of our buddy, David Driscoll, I just, I wanted to try something, you know, not from one of the usual suspects. It's pretty good. I'd like to try it maybe with a, you know, a punchier dark rum, you know, or something, you know, frankly, that's, you know, like a four square or something like that, a Mount Gay and see how, if that changes the character considerably, you know, if it adds a different depth or, or, you know, puts in like a weird roundness interesting, maybe a better word, roundness to it. Yeah. I think you could 
like you said, the base of it is pretty, the foundation is pretty solid, but you could sort of slip in a few audibles or variables and, and see where it might take you to sort of land on the, uh, the, the, the most, you know, sought after, uh, version of it. Yeah. Well, I think you could do, yeah, you could, for instance, you could probably marry up and do like 50, 50 of the, the fruit juice component, do something like citrus and pineapple. Yeah. Total winner. I love it. Right on. Well, Hey man, that is actually kind of what we're here to talk about today. You know, um, I think, you know, we have talked a lot offline, um, with our friends over at least a few weeks about the idea of doing this particular topic. So, you know, again, we don't want to put any kind of pressure on our friends with the, the watch pod Alliance. So again, that's going to be the whiskey and watches guys and the wrist cheese radio guys. But again, we have talked about this and we are issuing a bond cocktail challenge to kind of come up with an alternative cocktail for James Bond. So I guess, right. The, the, the premise here is that in just about all of the movies, or at least, you know, if you kind of follow the canon, if you ask even the uninitiated, you know, people who've seen a few James Bond movies, what James Bond drinks, you're going to get some answer that's a variation on a martini, a vodka martini, you know, martini shaken, not stirred. Maybe if somebody's kind of more into it, they know about the Vesper martini, but that's pretty much it. That's what he drinks, right? So what if there was no vodka martini? We argue all the time, like in the watch community, what watch Bond is supposed to wear and should, you know, you've got the Rolex camp and the Omega camp. Um, I'm a Seiko guy for for uh, Bond because Roger Moore was by Bond. Although I guess in the modern era, it's got to be Omega. But, um, you know, there's all the different back and forths. And well, if, you know, if that watch didn't exist or if it wasn't this, what should he have? I think we should have the same discussion on what kind of cocktail he should have. I love the, you're so right. You know, there's a whole, I don't know, Beckley, but there's a whole genre of sort of bond related influences, uh, studying, you know, or in sort of a subscribing or to what he might wear in certain instances or gear, or watch it. It just makes sense that you would riff on it on the cocktail scene, because if anything, we can all agree that, that he's a voracious drinker. right (laughs) he enjoys his he enjoys his drinks pretty much any situation i mean i've heard in you know the the breakdown is basically you know um the people who kind of don't like his character or like would describe him as you know outmoded misogynistic the quote-unquote blunt instruments um you know borderline maybe not so borderline alcoholic functional alcoholic uh you know basically a a ne'er-do-well and he's pretty much always got a drink in his hand if he's not, you know, shooting somebody or flying an airplane or driving a car fast or whatever. And you're absolutely right. There's these huge areas, whole, whole, a warren of rabbit holes that you could go down in terms of bond enthusiasm and nerdery. Everything from, you know, the cars, the clothes, um, the wrist cheese guys had the guys from the Blunt Instruments podcast on some time ago. And I kind of went back and looked that up and started watching and listening to their stuff. So they've got, you know, uh, videos and this is, um, Luke and Lorenzo, Uh, you know, they've got a a whole kind of range of content that they participate in and it's, you know, it's focused on the watches and the clothes and all of that stuff. I think, uh, the cocktails are only the, you know, the undiscovered country of this, if we want to 
like hypothesize a different beverage for them. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was a super unique idea that you positioned to the group. I thought it's going to make people think and, and sort of evaluate what they, what they might suggest. And um, I think you'll find, we'll see, we'll see when everybody comes out and then hopefully people will chime in too from elsewhere, but we'll see if people take, you know, sort of the, the literal route, if they pick from sort of the bond canon of cocktails, which of course there's several to choose from, uh, or if they go sort of a fun and, and sort of whimsical route, there's any number of ways it could go. So really cool. And uh, I'm really excited and curious to see a, what you come up with and then B what, uh, what all of our, our pod podcast friends and, 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 and the general, you know, the general uh, viewers listeners, you know, what they all think too. Totally. Well, Hey dude, each of us is kind of homework came up with a couple of suggestions and a couple of ideas. Do you want to lead off? Sure. I'll lead off. I'm going to go super literal in some, in some senses. Um, we were talking back channels and got to give a shout out again to Brian at high West. You know, we were talking, it, it's, it's interesting, right? Cause you're thinking, okay, what would maybe represent the parts of the world that, that bond spends time in, right. Or what sort of, you know, classic on the English cocktail bar scene or of the time, right. If we're talking a certain decade, so there's any number of routes that you could go. Um, but he said something so literal that it just struck a chord with me. And, and then of course it, it, you see it bear out in certain, you know, in certain, uh, uh movies as well. So I'm going to go really straightforward, but it's going to, I think it's really nail on the head. We're going a bottled in bond old fashioned. I mean, how much more clear cut can it get than that, Matt? Bottled in bond. I almost want to do the, I mean, I'm now I'm kind of mixing my movie metaphors, but you know, the, the, what is it? The uh, Dr. Evil, you know, bottled in, <laughs> in bond, Mr. Greg. Um, well, that's right. Uh, and I'll, I'll mention this maybe on closing notes. I actually did a back-to-back not that long ago of Awesome Powers 1 and 2. If you haven't done that in a while, I would highly recommend it. <laughs> oh, they are so good. Oh. It, well, you know, it's, it's funny because the, the appreciation of Bond and Austin Powers very much, I, well, obviously it goes hand in hand, but if you haven't seen some of the older movies that some of the more, um, you know, deep cut gags are based on, you really get a greater appreciation of, you know, the Austin Powers films. If you've watched a lot of the back catalog, you know, the early Bond movies, basically the you know, the Connery and early Roger Moore. Um, no, that's exactly right. And gosh, uh, you're gonna have to help me. I'm, I'm blanking, but, uh, even back in the day, um, God, what were the, it was, um, uh, uh, Flynn, there was the, there was the, uh, the sort of, uh, bond adjacent movies that were, um, I, I never saw them, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Was it like our man Flynn or yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Well, and there was a whole, yeah. Like a, a genre, that category, there was the saint also Roger Moore. Um, Saint Arman actually, Flint. that's it. That's it. So I um, remember watching those. So growing up, it's so funny. Like you know, <laughs> certain people of a, like a generation will say like, "Oh, you know, Goldeneye was sort of that's when I came into Bond," and then they would go back and watch the back catalog. When I when I was younger, and I'm you know of that probably that generation, but when I was younger, I grew up watching the Bond marathons during the summer on like Turner Movie Classics, and so I would always watch all the old Bonds. And then in I had an uncle 
who was like, okay, you think these are cool too. Then you need to watch like our man Flint and sort of like this whole, you know, uh, offshoot that are at that time, sort of Austin Powers esque in some ways, you know, maybe not as like, you know, uh, on the nose, but the whole point was like, it was anyway, we've gone, we've gone way off, but those are great movies too. And you should watch them. Well, let me ask you, dude, let's just, you know, kind of, uh, uh, pause here for two seconds. Like what was, do you remember what your first bond movie experience was? Do you remember what the first thing you saw was? Oh man, probably like, I couldn't tell you the exact order in which I saw them, but I mean, Moonraker was very like, just completely, you know, uh, 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 imprinted on my mind. Um, definitely like Thunderball, um, Octopussy. I mean, some of the, the classic classics were just, I just remember the ones that were just sort of super visuals, like really interesting. Um, but every summer, that's what was part, like they would run a, a month long uh, marathon and and I, I would just watch them like crazy because this is, I mean, where would you have had these before? This wasn't, you know, as ob- obviously this wasn't a time where you just dialed in like Amazon Prime and rented it. Like there was no other opportunity to watch these movies except then, you know, you would maybe catch a stray at some random time. But like this is the only time you were going to catch basically every single Bond, not on demand, but. You know, I mean, with relative foresight, you could watch any and every James Bond movie over, you know, up until whatever this was probably, I don't know, mid 90s at this point, maybe up until a certain point. Yeah, you if you were fortunate, maybe you had a couple copies of different VHS, you know. But yeah, the I think, you know, I don't think I know the first Bond movie I saw, I saw it in theaters was for your eyes only still probably one of my two or three favorites. Um, certainly it's like an emotional favorite. I love the sets on that movie. You know, they had some great, great cars. The second Lotus Esprit, the one that's got that sort of that like burgundy brown undertone is really, really hot. Poor, uh, poor Ferrer got killed in it. But um, yeah, great cars. Um, the, you know, the action scenes were like phenomenal. Everything was super cool. Saw Octopussy in theaters as well. And then basically I've seen That's just crazy. about That's every cool. movie. Yeah. In, in theaters from there, but I didn't start. And again, for the reason you described, I didn't get to see much of the back catalog until like the nineties when, you know, stuff started getting distributed on VHS and then eventually into DVD or, you know, what have you. I mean, I, I, you know, was kind of from a, a poor household. We didn't have cable or anything growing up. And it was, you know, kind of like you said, catch as catch can. But I pretty much saw everything in theaters from uh for your eyes only onward. Great stuff. That's crazy. That's really interesting. I think that part of it is so interesting to me because how long of a gap was there between until when Goldeneye was released? There was quite a gap between the last iteration and then Goldeneye, right? I mean, longer than I usual. I think so. I'd have to go see when. Um, so Roger Moore's last movie was View to a Kill. And then I think it was probably two or three years, maybe. Maybe not even that long, really. Until um, the next one. And that was going to be. Uh, oh, man. Not. Not License to Kill. What was the one before that? License to Kill was a little bit sideways. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm drawing a blank. But the one where he's, you know, the girl in the cello and going down the, you know what I'm, anyway, I, I digress. But uh, yeah, I want to say between 
the last of the more films, then we have that, the two movie interlude, and then it picks up with Goldeneye. That's got to be probably a six or seven year, maybe eight year gap with, with two movies kind of quick back to back. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. And then you have the whole sort of like, you know, the Goldeneye video game, you know, um, crew or that's sort of how they were introduced to it as well, which is cool. And it was a great video game. I absolutely loved it. It was one of the best ever. I've never seen it. That's great. You know, yeah, I, I had know so many people who were like, oh, it was an amazing game. Like even today, you know, if if you could play it on the equipment, you know, the original console and everything like that, it was so much fun. You know, I just I I never had any experience with it. Um, it was like but it I was would sort like of the beginning it. of like those RPG shooter games. You know, I mean, there was ones before that. I remember some of the computer games like, uh, gosh, Wolfenstein, like Do- Doom and Duke Nukem. Yeah, yeah, it was. I think yeah. it was. I think it was probably preceded them, at least in terms of like mass, you know, a mass audience. Um, yeah, it was. It was so it was just era. really good game. Yeah. So Goldeneye came out in '95, and License to Kill was '89. So there was a good six year gap between Dalton's last, you know, between between Dalton and License to Kill, and when Goldeneye came out. So that's, I mean, six years is relatively long in terms of this, you know, in terms of this um, uh, set of movies. Yeah. I don't know. I think Dalton sometimes doesn't get his due, but whatever. We're talking about See, cocktails. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So back to the cocktails. So we're listen. I mean, how much fun would it be to just go literally hit this thing right on the nose, do an old fashioned, which, of course, Bond would drink an old fashioned. Why wouldn't he? It's like the most classic of all cocktails. He's the most classic of all people in some regards. Um, we're going to riff on it by saying it's a bottled in Bond bourbon. And for all of our our bourbon heads out there, right, that just sort of speaks to the designation that mandates that brands clear, you know, a certain number of thresholds, whatever. And I think it's something along the lines of bottled for at least four years and bottled at, you know, 100 proof. Um, And so, um, you know, and a number of other sort of characteristics that allow you to use that designation. But a bottled and bond, old fashioned cocktail that just screams, you know, 007 to me. Maybe a little too on the nose, but I think it's uh, all, all it does it in all the right ways. Well, there's so many um, bourbon options that make a lot of sense. I mean, bourbon is so credible as a uh, kind of a foundation for a beverage for Bond or somebody like Bond. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, U.S. influence, I think, in in a lot of the bottlings in Scotch because I think you know in, in a lot of places now maybe that's kind of changing. Um, because bourbon is so popular now, the the cooperage and the barrels, the wood, the staves and stuff like that, that would be used and sent over to Scotland for, for scotch. I, I have no idea how that market is shaping up or if it's harder to get or becoming more sort of dearly priced. But going back, and I always think of Bond as like this, this timeless entity, if you will, that goes back to basically the late 40s. In terms of, you know, when the character development would have started, you know, the first movies are in the 60s. But we presume that Bond is maybe a late World War II, early Cold War era, you know, naval officer with the Royal Navy. And, you know, he's got whatever experiences that somebody, you know, as a as a kind of a, a mid to high ranking non-flag grade officer would have. And you know, bourbon was, uh, was a big deal. So I think, you know, bourbon, rye, any number of things, 
I remember having a, like a history lesson at, um, at a really high end bar in Chicago. And they were talking about the origins of the old fashioned and how, you know, that went back, you know, from today, uh, maybe 180 years to some fine, like, you know, eating, eating establishments and hotel bars, you know, in New York and in basically in, in the American Northeast. So I'm thinking cities like Boston and Philadelphia. So yeah, there's a lot of things you could do, I think, with you know, with bourbon and or rye. And have it associate right. with bar. That's exactly right. And then, you know, if you really wanted to go like, you know, super literal too, you know, I think in both Thunder uh Live and Let Die and Thunderball, you know, it's an it's it's part of the Bond cocktail, you know, program, if you will. Right. So he orders old fashions. Um, in both movies, you know, very specifically on screen. And so, you know, there's, there's precedence in terms of why it would fit, uh, but also playing off the sort of, you know, bottled and bond, uh, designation, um, uh, it, it sort of makes it kind of fun for this conversation as well. Yeah, totally. Well, I think that's a good choice, man. And I think there's a lot of ways you can sort of go with that too. Even just to bourbon neat, man. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that offline too. It's like, I mean, <laughs> you can be so simple with him in some ways. I mean, you know, some, some things that he does are very, you know, very, uh, uncomplicated. Yeah, no, totally. I, I think the more uncomplicated he gets, the more he maybe gravitates for something like a good single malt, Correct. but, uh, you know, yeah, a good Highland single malt. So this is where I went. I went a little bit different. I kind of thought about, okay, you know, what are his, what's his background? You know, this is a, uh, an upper crust, but not super rich, presumably, you know, middle-class, um, you know, guy with a, a good education, well-rounded life experience officer in the Navy. And the Navy keeps figuring in all throughout, you know, the timeline of bond, right. This commander bond it's, there's any number of, uh, you know, movies where they make overt references to it, or you get the sense that he's had experiences or training or skills that he acquired in the Navy. And the two spirits that I think of when I think of the Royal Navy are gin and rum. Mm-hmm. So I got a uh, kind of a, a history lesson lecture from, again, from our, our buddy, David Driscoll from, you know, previous episode, when we we're talking about uh, allocated spirits with David and he was like, yeah, man, that's the whole origin of the term Navy strength was stuff that was that's proofed right. high enough. Yeah. Stuff that is proofed high enough so that if it, uh, if it spilled into the powder, the powder would still fire even if it was wet. So, you know, this is on, uh, you know, uh, Royal Navy, basically, you know, in the age of sail, you know, cannons where, you know, they're transporting and, and, you know, moving powder around a ship, powder and shot. And, you know, they're firing powder directly in a lot of cases, you know, so they're just ex- literally, you know, touching a, uh, a match to, to a gun. And if it, if it's been soaked in gin, it, it'll still go, right. It'll still go high order in the, in the barrel of the cannon and you, you've got the projectile out and you're good to go. So gin is a big deal. I think in the Royal Navy and in sort of British society, think British empire, you know, um, Everywhere from, you know, South Asia, uh, you know, Malaya, Malaysia, um, the Caribbean, what have you. The other thing is rum. Again, rum. Rum is, and I, I believe remains to this day, 
a, a rationed beverage aboard Royal Navy ships. So our in the United States, you know, ships are dry. At least they're supposed to be. You can probably find a bottle in the chief's mess on any big ship. But uh, the Royal Navy still, you know, has like a tot of rum that's issued out or they have like a beer call, that kind of thing. So rum is a big deal. And to me, those are obvious choices. So I'm like, okay, I've, you know, you can go with something really simple, like a gin and tonic. This makes a lot of sense. Um, and I, I like that choice because I like gin and tonic in hot weather. But I'm going to read a couple movie titles to you and tell me what you think these all have in common. Okay. So we have Dr. No, Octopussy, Goldeneye, Die Another Day, No Time to Die, Casino Royale. And that's just off the top of my head. Um, I, I'm sure there may be one or two others. But do you know what all of those have in common? I don't know if I can figure this out. So in every one of those, James Bond is operating somewhere in the Caribbean. I think you could make a case where outside of England, James Bond spends more time in the Caribbean and Latin America than in any other sort of theater of operations, right? So Dr. No yeah. is Jamaica. Octopussy is Cuba, right? It famously starts with the little beady, you know, micro jet. That's right. You know, coming out of the horse trailer. Um, Goldeneye, Puerto Rico. Uh, Die Another Day, Cuba. No Time to Die is the twofer. You get Jamaica and Cuba. Quantum of Solace is uh, Haiti, Hispaniola. And then, you know, again, Latin America, doesn't he go to like Bolivia after that? Mm -hmm. And then Casino Royale, the Bahamas. And there's some other stuff. So for me, all of that stuff means rum. You got to go rum. And that is why I poured this Bacardi cocktail. I think this would be something that like in a fine establishment in the 50s or even in the 40s, maybe you know, Bond would have been able to find and would have kind of gotten hooked on this, but there's almost any number of things you can, you can go with this, like a, a basic, uh, daiquiri. In other words, not something super, you know, froofy, like a frozen daiquiri or strawberry or banana daiquiri, but just a, a basic daiquiri. Um, I think, in fact, I know Bond has a mojito, right? Uh, another rum based cocktail in die another day, mm -hmm. famously with Holly Berry. So yeah, it's got to be rum for me, and that is why I'm picking this this uh, Bacardi cocktail. Just so good, man. I'm gonna have another sip. I love it. That's so good. So well thought out. I think the rationale is strong from like a historical Bond timeline perspective, like a personal timeline and 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 sort of life biography, uh, and then sort of relating it back to real life uh, set locations and story locations, um, and it. Just looks really freaking tasty. So I think <laughs> I think you really did a nice job on that one. Yeah, this is good. This this particular cocktail is half gone. It's uh it's very drinkable. I'm doing this outside. It's kind of warm. So this is just like perfect. So yeah, man, that's my choice. But I mean, everything when you think about it, how many um non-martinis, if that's his signature drink, and I think it is. How many sort of non-martini cocktails or or drink options has Bond partaken in? I mentioned the mojito. What other stuff is and well, and you talked about an old fashioned. What else has he had? Can you think offhand? Ooh, you know, there's. Uh, I, I can cheat and say that I've seen sort of lists of these things, and so. Um, we'll do it. I don't have a list in front of me. Educate me. Yeah. Okay. So they've got. Um, 
they've got an Americano in Casino Royale and from with, uh, from Rush with Love and View to a Kill. Uh, a Negroni and For Your Eyes Only. Old Fashioned, we talked about already. Thunderball, Live and Let Die. He's got a Negroni and For Your Eyes Only? That's what some of these lists oh. say. Okay. He okay. Well, I mean, there's going to be in th- a, a, a Rum Collins, um, Sazerac. Uh, you already said Mint Julep, of course. You already said Mojito. Um, so that's sort of, I guess, most of them. A Black Velvet. I don't know what a Black Velvet is. Oh, man. We talked about that oh. on the Holiday Cocktail yeah. Guide. Yeah, man. That's, that's the. Uh, yeah, that is. Um, that's basically equal parts, you know, champagne, probably a cheaper champagne. And Guinness or any kind of like, uh, you know, a dark beer like that. Hey, uh, dude, champagne. Yep. I, I would I think would say, got yeah. to be, that's got to be his number two. Like It's got to be because he's at so many cocktail parties, yeah. right? Like, or, or, or in formal settings where you're just either doing, you know, past cocktail, uh, past champagne, or it's just sort of like, you know, the, 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 the drink of the, of the evening. So yeah, that's probably a great point. Yeah. Champagne and. You know, maybe you uh, you finish up at the after party with a Heineken. I I think that's just branding, but I I want to say I've seen him have a Heineken, maybe in something, or is you that know, just a commercial? Is that just no, a commercial? I th- no, I think you're right. I think there's there's definitely a movie. There's definitely an on screen appearance, but that's recent. It feels like a Craig. It definitely feels like a Daniel Craig thing. I can't say in good faith. I'm happy to be corrected with you know evidence. I can't say in good faith. I can see. Any bonds before Daniel Craig drinking beer, quite frankly, I just I, I visually can't do I just can't get to it. Maybe it's there. Maybe it happens. Um, it just doesn't seem to fit. Uh, I don't know. It's just me. Yeah, I think for the previous on screen persona, it's it's too out of character, but it's very much like for a, like a, a more physical kind of rough hewn bond. Like Craig, yeah, beer is definitely an option. Although I see him being a Carlsberg guy. Mm. I don't know. I don't know why. Or that makes you know, sense. we'll have to we'll have to find out like what the uh what beers, you know, they probably I'm guessing drink bitters. So, you know, something yes. like maybe maybe Young's or uh oh man. Yeah, bitters is not big in Ireland, so I can only think of stouts and stuff from there. But yeah, you know, something something like that. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, I think I, I thinking get back to. I mean, he spends a lot of time in the states too, so I have to imagine that love of bourbon and maybe old fashions plays into that too. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of stateside uh, escapades as well. No, maybe, there totally maybe, is. Three or four, you know, t- like, like you said, the Caribbean might be the second, you know, most frequent location uh, beyond, of course, Great Britain. And and I'm going to say maybe the States is, is maybe just behind that. I think that might be right. Because, I mean, famously, you know, right, the uh, uh, is it? Yeah, it's Gold- Goldfinger is uh, Kentucky, you know, that notional Fort Knox. So, you know, you, I, when I think of Kentucky at this time of year, it's like, okay, horse racing, bluegrass, horses, uh, you know, bourbon trail, all of that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Well, hey, man, we got, a, we got a couple of suggestions from other people. We solicited, you know, some friends and former guests, past guests, and we got some suggestions. Do you mind if I kind of either read some of these out or in some cases, these are in the form of voice memo? What do you think? 
Love it. Let's uh, let's get him out on the airwaves. Um, this feels like the strongest possible um, reintroduction, or not reintroduction, but sort of uh, bringing back the tequila or the cocktail matchmaker, um, you know, format that we've been so excited about. So let's let him roll. Right on, right on. All right. Well, hey, let's let me start with this, and because it's funny, we just talked about you know the United States, which is what kind of jogged my memory, um, Kentucky, and that sort of thing, and the first suggestion that we got was from a relatively recent guest. So this is Captain Asha Wagner, right? This is Wildlander 6. And one of the things that she suggested was, and you kind of mentioned it a second ago, I thought, I was like, wait, did you see what she wrote? But she suggested a mint julep because of his time in the States and and thinking of it being kind of like a a dark horse entry, right? As a a cocktail suggestion. But there's something that's just, there's something that is um, oddly frivolous but in, in a good way about like a good mint julep. And again, it's a very old cocktail. So it's something, you know, that goes way back. It's the kind of thing that, um, you know, had he wanted to make himself acquainted with it, you know, uh, uh, Ian Fleming would have known about that as a, as a cocktail to write in. So I think that was an interesting choice from Asha. I like that. And we just, uh, we're not too far away from Derby days and it's a very, uh, drink of, uh, of watching the ponies. So, uh, again, fits in pretty well. Yep. Yep. So then we had from, um, our buddy, David Driscoll, he actually had a slight, I guess you'd say like a, a different take on the, like the basic bond cocktail. So he didn't want to stray like too far away from, you know, the, the basic formula, if that makes sense. In fact, hang on. I'm going to look for this here real quick. David, where is your note? Because he had an interesting suggestion. So let's see. You know what? While I'm looking for this, I just saw something crazy on his feed. It was a picture of him from about 10 years or something, maybe more than that, ago. And he was in like an apartment or a home with uh, the guy from Paul Mitchell. I, I don't know how they say the guy's name, but it's John Paul something do you know who i'm talking about yeah yeah that's the guy did you see that photo you know what i I just pulled it up now to look back that's crazy first of all david looks so young and uh john john paul DeJoria looks just like he normally sort of looks (laughs) yeah well so this is the interesting thing though in that picture and sorry because i'm totally stalling for time while i go to reopen this and find his note there's a beer that's on the table in that photograph. And we've talked about that beer on the podcast. This is one of the ones that um, uh, Mike and Balash were talking about. It was one of like the the two or three. And this is like one of those export beers. It's uh, ABK. Mm, right. Yeah. So he was telling me that uh, John Paul, again, I'm not going to try to mangle that last name, but that he owns that brand. That's interesting. Well, he was, yeah. I mean, he also started Patron. So there's a, and well, and Paul Mitchell hair products, which everybody, well, probably knows more about, but yeah, he's had a pretty successful career. I did not know that. That was, I thought that was super cool. Okay. So I've got his note and here, here's what he basically suggested. I asked him, Hey, we're doing an upcoming episode with a segment on possible ideas for a quote, better bond beverage end quote what would you suggest? Do you want to pitch an idea? And he's without hesitation. He says, sure, it would be an improved Vesper martini with a Fino Sherry rinse. So he's going to kind of stick to the classics 
but just with a little bit of a twist. And he indicates, and I'd love to find out if this is true. He's like, that's the original Bond cocktail anyway. Do you know if that's true? I have not heard that. So that would be interesting for sure. Yeah, that's not something that I'm aware of. I don't know. Maybe it was in you know one of the books or what have you. Sorry, I'm going to crack open a uh, sparkling water here. Yep. It's not a beer, I swear. You wouldn't be faulted if it was. Yeah, yeah. No, this is just a LaCroix. But um, so that's the suggestion from David Driscoll. And if anybody knows cocktails, it's that dude. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, 219 is his uh, sort of booze consulting. Check him out. He uh, posts a lot of really cool uh, editorials. We post them when we can, when we see them too. So go check him out. Follow him. Yeah, Dave is a good dude. Absolutely. I think you should be. you should be following him for sure. So now this is actually, okay, sorry. I had to pause this and drop cause I'm just like starting to have a coughing fit. Sorry about that. Anyway, the, um, the next piece that we got was actually from Luke Taggart. This is the, uh, the feed bonds apartment. And this is one of the two guys that, uh, Brodinky and Schmidt had on several months ago. Did you catch that episode from them or not? I did. I'm yeah, sorry, that I... was uh, that was good. It was a great episode. I think. Gosh, I think I had sort of maybe seen uh, Lorenzo's feed in passing, but I don't think I had followed it closely. And so after that, I, I started to to uh, to see more of what he posts. And uh, I guess he's not too far from us. He's just in Vegas, right? Yeah. Well, so there, remember, there's two guys. So there's um, right. there's Luke who is Bond's apartment. And then there's um, Omega Bond's watches, Omega Bond watches, sorry. And that's Lorenzo. And I think Lorenzo's focus is a little bit more on the watches. That's right. And Luke is probably more on like the, you know, the overall lifestyle picture and, uh, you know, the clothing and stuff like that. So I reached out to, to Luke at Bond's apartment and he writes back and he's like, hey man, for me, I'd have to say an old fashioned ding, ding, ding. Um, And so- you know, praise from Caesar for you there. Um, but he also calls out a Negroni. And then finally, his third thing is, what about a uh, a gin gimlet? And a to me, that actually, gimlet. that makes a lot of that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I like all three of those. I think um, obviously the, the old fashioned works for me. It's the direction I took. So thanks for validating that selection. The Negroni is such a well-known and well-respected cocktail um, that I think that, that that obviously fits. The Gin Gimlet, I think, is definitely on brand, and I really like that. That was something I hadn't considered. Uh, there's a lot of ways to go with gin, like you mentioned earlier, but that one, quite frankly, personally speaking, would probably be one of the more tasty versions, and uh, and I like that a lot. Yeah, that's a great suggestion from Luke. Thanks, dude. It makes me think too of, uh, you know, kind of taking it all the way full circle and coming back to the so close to being a martini, but not quite a martini to Gibson. Yeah, that's right. Yep, yep. So great suggestions there. And now I'm going to ask you to sort of bear with me because we're going to try this. This is a way to see if we can actually play the file and get it to show up. If not, I'll actually just drop it into the recording and cut this piece out. But we also um, heard and we got uh, audio feedback. So we got files sent to us 
from a um, former guest. This is uh, Dan C. I don't like to say his last name. He's a serving soldier in the British Army. But Dan is definitely into watches, uh, into good booze. Again, he is in the British military, and I thought he'd be an interesting person to kind of solicit. So let me see if I can get this. Yeah, absolutely. And he's been on with us like, uh, what, two or three times. So without further ado, let me see if I can play this. Spirit Time Podcast. It's Dan from Zulu Time Podcast. And I just wanted to hop on the mic very quickly just to give you my submission for a James Bond cocktail. But before I get into it, in all good watch podcasting traditions just so you're aware i'm wearing my brand new elliot brown Beachmaster, which came in a couple of weeks ago it's an absolutely fantastic watch and i know we've discussed it at length both in the podcast together um as well as um across various other forms of social media um but without further ado i want to let you know my james bond um cocktail uh in lieu of his ever famous vesper martinis so my submission for you is a sazerac a sazerac if you don't know what that is it's a whiskey based cocktail so it'll have whiskey absinthe bitters and orange to garnish and as well as that as we all know james bond is a cool calm and collected um individual and i also like to think that he would also have his sazerac on the rocks so that is my submission to you guys i hope to catch up with you guys soon and i hope you enjoy your own sazerac at some point in the near future until then i catch you later whoops i'm gonna have to dump that out (laughs) did you catch that like the first one note i don't know why it does that sorry so one way or another we'll uh we'll get that audio in there that's kind of fun just to that was great damn thanks for that live Yeah, Yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, that was I thought that was a really um, uh, thought out cocktail suggestion. Uh, And uh, I absolutely think James Bond would order that. And I think if if he did, we would all be ordering it uh, in the same way that maybe people think about the Vesper Martini. So that that was a really on, on point recommendation. Yeah. Can you imagine how much more popular that cocktail would be if it had a few more modern appearances in James Bond films? Ah, yeah. It'd be all over the place. Are you kidding me? Speaking of which, it's kind of funny. So these audio files, you know, they come up as downloads, but when you open them in Mac in this you know, environment, what they do is they immediately um, like drop into the music application. So when it's done without any kind of hesitation, I mean, you get like, a tenth of a second from the end of that file, and then it immediately begins to play whatever is sort of queued up next. So, and it's it just so happens that it's the John Barry, the original James Bond theme. So, okay, that, that's that funny was- you say that because I thought maybe Dan dropped that in <laughs> as like an outro, and I was like, dang, Dan, that was amazing. Not only did you send us a great audio file recommendation of a cocktail, but you even did an outro with the Bond music. Like, kudos, my man. Yeah, that was like record scratch. I couldn't quite hit the stop button. No, fast I thought enough. it was perfect. I laptop. thought it was perfect, actually. All right. Well, so that thank you again, Dan, for for pitching that out. I think that's a, a fantastic choice. Yeah, and is there are there? Do we have any others? Yeah, we do. Actually, we've got that's one right. from Adam Commando Sundials. So um, Adam has not been on with us, but we we hope to have him on soon, maybe very soon. Um, 
super cool guy, uh, former Royal Marine. Um, obviously he's a, a Brit himself and is into that kind of thing, the whole, the whole bond thing. So I'd reached out to him and asked him to provide a suggestion and he sent one as well. So let me see if I can cue this up and let's see what we got. Hey, Matt and Greg, my idea for alternative bond cocktail is that drink created by the men of the Royal Navy out of necessity, the grandfather of the pre-tonic era gins, the pink gin, a good measure of botanical gin and uh, two dashes of Angostura bitters and maybe a sliver of lemon uh, peel. Yeah, I think if Bond was going to be drinking something, uh, a Navy man uh, would be harking back to the old school tradition. No ice, warm, classic. So yeah, that's another great suggestion. Thank you, uh, Adam, for that. We're going to go ahead and drop that in as well. That was so, awesome. I, you know, yeah, I mean, and so he and I, I think we're kind of thinking along the same lines, at least, you know, in some respects, right? That that whole Navy connection, It's there's got to be gin in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I was trying to do some research for for this segment too, and just the idea of using of, of a bitters forward cocktail, as Adam mentioned, I think is very in line um, with this sort of thinking and, uh, it sort of seems to be historically accurate too, uh, to a certain, you know, time frame in, in terms of, uh, how people would enjoy their cocktail. So that was awesome. Yeah, totally. Well, and he said it was before the tonic era, you know, I guess, uh, I guess what's the lore is, you know, the gin and tonic is basically the, the curative for, uh, was it malaria? I think malaria. I don't know how effective, but I think that's the deal with that. So anyhow, I'll take it. Yeah. So these are basically our suggestions, right? Our, our, we've got a Bacardi cocktail from me, an old fashioned from you and Luke, although Luke kind of snuck in that, uh, that Negroni option or the, uh, the Jim Gimlet great suggestions. Uh, we have a mint julep from Wildlander six, Captain Very Wagner, fun. Asha, how you doing? Um, and then uh, Dave basically says, "Hey, just do a, a a riff, you know, on the on the martini. Basically, go a, a slightly different direction." And then we've got, uh, yeah, the the pink gin and a sazerac. I think all very credible. So good stuff. And thanks to everybody for kind of contacting us. We we look forward to hearing what like everybody else says and in the comments and messages and stuff like that. Yeah. Cheers, everybody. That was really fun. Hopefully we'll keep the conversation going with the, uh, with the podcast Alliance. And, uh, and again, like we said, just chime in, let us know what you're thinking. Drop us a comment, DM, whatever. Let us know what you think, uh, Bond's cocktail should be if it were not the Vesper Martini. Yeah. I mean, here, I'm going to leave, we'll close out this topic unless you want to say something else, but with the last thing, and I think there's a, a really, um, like a credible claim to make that Bond would in fact in 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 a lot of ways would probably be more of a wine drinker. Really? You think so? You know, I we've been conditioned to think no, but I, you know, I don't know. In maybe the idea is he's just, you know, a, a little bit uh off center in that regard, but I mean it, it maybe and maybe it's just my personal sort of 
uh, worldview, but I, I tend to think of like really fine wines and things like that as being sort of the ultimate in bon vivantry, even, even above, you know, fine spirits. Bon vivantry. So, that's a new one. Uh, I like that. I th- you know what, now that I think about it, I do actually think he would absolutely know his way around a wine list. Um, bond vivantry TM. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, it's hard for me to see him actually enjoying a glass of, of wine. But uh, even though we already said that his, you know, champagne might be his number two, his number two drink. Um, but I think you're right. I think he know he should know his way around a wine list. Yeah. Well, maybe champagne is what he drinks to enjoy and everything else is vaguely medicinal. And I'm using air quotes. So who knows? But anyway, yeah, you're right. Um, I hope to, you know, get some feedback and also to, to hear what the guys on the other pods say. But with that, should we put this topic to bed and drive on? Because it's we're nearly on an hour and we got a couple more things to talk about. Let's do it. Right on. Well, dude, you and I have both been to Feldmar recently, and I want to compare notes real fast. What like what one or two things did you see that kind of blew your mind? Uh, I saw some really fun stuff. I was trying to go off the beaten path a little bit. Feldmar's got it all, right? I mean, anywhere from Casio and or excuse me, um, Citizen and Seiko all the way to, you know, Parmigiani and Blanc Pond. So, but I was trying to just see some new fun things. So the the new Bulgari aluminums, and I think the Bulgari aluminums have been kind of enjoying some some shine lately, but they've got the, uh, the Capri special editions. These are this like uh, the blue sort of ombre dial. Have you seen them? I have. Yeah, they're really cool. Hot. <laughs> they are great. Yeah. Uh, hadn't had an aluminum on my wrists before and obviously being aluminum, but they're also the, the, the articulated bra- uh, rubber bracelet with that extra sort of link in it. It's like, you're that's literally, the, that's the party piece on these things is that, oh that man, bracelet is the, that's what makes it so good. So good. So that was a big shout out on those. Um, I finally got a chance to see the, uh, Zodiac super sea wolf, the rainbow, um, that got you know, so much attention, gosh, only just a couple weeks ago, probably. Right. I mean, they just let, let the, uh, chronograph what was it the Seacron? Uh, yes. the chronograph just came out re- more recently, but the rainbow was not even maybe a month or two ago. And, and that's really fun. They did a cool job with it. It's really nice to see the, the skeletonized, uh, uh, dial and the movement, you know, uh, sort of, I don't know, decoration color. Anyway, just a really fun, great, great looking piece. And it wears great as we already know. Um, I told Jimmy <laughs> watch fiend. I just, I had to see, I had to put some re- the resins watches on my wrist. I, I, I think about them. I see them all the time. Had never actually asked or put them on. I hadn't seen them at a get together. So I had the resins type one slim red. And then I guess what the, the is the eight C the cobalt kind of blue one, super fascinating, right? Just really interesting. Just completely different in terms of what you would expect wearing, you know, a wristwatch. And then uh, finally, actually, because of the resins, Jimmy and I were talking and he sort of was like, hey, you really want to try on the the, the tree lobe? And I was like, you know what? I think I do. I, I, I've seen them and, and I know we've talked about them, but I haven't really <laughs> thought much about it, I guess. And I'm telling you, man, I'm still thinking about right now. I had the tree lobe. I guess they, oh gosh, this is like French Swiss. This is going to really jack me up. Um, Nuit Fantastique. Um Amazing. 38 and a half millimeters. Um, they sort of simplified that dial design 
I mean, you still have three basically concentric circles, but there's only two of those like trefoils that are indicators. So it's a little right. bit shrunk down from some of the other formats and just a little bit of a cleaner time telling um, experience, in my opinion. Uh, I'm still thinking about that one, Matt. That was very fun. I really like those a lot. They seem like they, they're very avant-garde kind of design, but with sort of like classic elements. And, uh, you know, for something that is in that space, and I don't know how we define this, you know, like Rescence or, or a tree lobe or, you know, some of these others, um, these are not inexpensive watches, but they're probably some of the most approachable in that realm. Um, they're not crazy expensive, at least the ones that I've seen. I don't know if, you know, precious, maybe, you know, I don't know that they even offer anything in, in precious metal, but you know, obviously that would probably put them through the roof, but they're the kind of thing that if you want something like that, that's just way off the beaten path, um, you could do worse. They look really cool to me. You know, they've got that, uh, like speak Marin meets Rescence kind of mashup. I agree. And I think there's sort of novel enough that they're definitely out there, right? Or not out there. They're sort of, you know, off center, if you want to call it that, but um, they're not so great. It's not like a Constantine, you know, Chaikin, you know, sort of Joker watch. Like it's not, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a different experience, right? But it's not like so novel that like you wouldn't even wear it except for a certain occasion. You would wear these watches. Like they're still wearable. They're just very different. Yeah, you'd have to really look twice if you were if somebody was, you know, across the room checking out your wrist, they'd have to really look two or three times to see that you're wearing something that was out of the ordinary. It's not yeah. something like, you know, an MBNF, you know, an Uruk exactly, that right. just screams, you know, this is this is weird. Look at me. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, I like those a lot. Well, that sounds like you, you had see? a pretty productive trip, man. So oh, I I did. I did. I didn't see as much as you did. I went on a mission. I wanted to see um, a couple of things that I'm personally interested in, and we'll leave those aside. They're not necessarily new watches. And then uh, I also wanted to see what they may have had that's new from Tudor. And they did not have the 54, but they did have the new Black Bay 41, the red burgundy. So it was kind of, you know, the original, you know, Black Bay that put them on the map you know, what, 10, 12 years ago when they, you know, came back to North America. But this thing is basically slimmed down. It's different proportions and it's a really, really cool watch. It is so much more interesting and wearable. I got to see it, um, not on what they're calling five link, which to me is precious, right? I mean, it's, they, they won't call it a Jubilee, but, um, I got to see it on the, you know, their version of Oyster and it's still very good. I know some people don't like the rivets, whatever, but it, to me, it's a completely different and vastly more wearable watch than the outgoing, you know, kind of tall slab sided. They, mm -hmm. they did a lot to kind of cure that. So it's, it's very, very good. I think. You did a nice job. I think you posted a video on the account and you got a chance to sort of understand the profile in a more, you know, in a very real way. So um, that looked fantastic. I, so this is a little bit gossipy or, or maybe that that's not the right word, but like when we were, do you remember we went to the Tudor event at Feldmar and for people who don't mm -hmm. know, I'm sure most of you do, but Feldmar, when we say that that's Feldmar watch company, Los Angeles, you know, uh, Pico Robertson neighborhood, great, great, a, uh, AD 
lot of amazing brands. Anyway, they had that tutor event in the fall of last year, right? And do you remember at one point, and I won't mention the guy's name, but the he's basically the brand director for North America. I don't know what the the exact job title is. But he saw me from across the room because I was wearing my GMT. So this is the Black Bay GMT, but I have it off of the uh, you know, the OEM, you know, what bracelet. Style bracelet. And I've got it on a a Forstner Jubilee that is made for specifically for that watch. And man, that guy was, I wouldn't say he was mean mugging me, but he was like looking at me. It was really obvious. And finally he comes over from across the room and he's like, can I see your watch? And you know, he's very complimentary. Like, let me see that. Let me see that. Let me see. That. And I just didn't understand why he was so focused on that, but I, he must've thought, and now it, it sort of makes sense, but he must've thought like, where did this guy get that? You know, this is uh but he, he seemed visibly relieved that it was not one of his. Um, <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, this. it's like, yeah. No, you're no, right. Ahead. Actually, I, I remember this conversation. I, when I went over to, to, to Feldmar, I was kind of, let me ask you this. We haven't talked about this yet. I was kind of hoping they would have some of the new Tudor Royals. And I really wanted to see the brown dial one. What do you think about that watch? You know, I haven't looked at those enough to have formed an opinion, but I think those are all kind of, it makes me wonder if it's the watch that right now doesn't appeal to me, but that in five years, I'm going to wish I'd gotten when they were like still super cheap. Oh, here. That's an interesting, Thanks. yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a oh, interesting way to put it. Like at some point, like these, you know, quote unquote disappear and you're like, Ooh, that was kind of cool and obscure. Um, I don't, th- I couldn't okay. say that. Yeah, I'm like yeah, a- yeah. Yeah, I couldn't say I'm a huge fan in general of the Royal line. I, I, I'm not a, Roman numerals. I could take or leave, I guess, to be honest with you. But something about the two-tone on the brown integrated bracelet, it's got me it's got me feeling some things. Well, you know, okay, so now that you sent that picture, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Well, obviously, I just saw it. It's but, new for 23, um, that- I think, right? That is the one to have in the entire line because they've had some is others it, that are like not, right? day date. Yeah, I yeah. think so. And they've had some day date versions, but those are and those are larger. And so the dial looks really cool, but when you put these things on, they're a larger format. And then that's it's kind of like kind of sorta not quite maybe, but but it is an integrated bracelet ish. Yeah. Right. So with that design, when you put that on your wrist, it's um, it really wants to be on the bracelet, but there's so much visual mass with it and they wear even bigger. So the day date initially was the one that I thought like, hey, that's what I would gravitate toward when those came out like three years ago or however long ago it was. But that one that you just showed at 38 millimeters with that cool dial and the, you know, the two tone, this basically stealing gold kind of a, an aesthetic. I, I would vibe hard on that watch. That yeah. looks really cool. I've been thinking about that one. You know, we we skipped over the watches and wonders episode because, you know, we've talked about it and enough has been enough digital and audio enough digital ink and audio has been spilled about, you know, all the releases. But we did talk about what were some things that weren't mentioned as much as maybe some others. And this one was on my short list because uh, I, I really want to see that particular watch in person. Yeah, I would love to see that too. Now that you've kind of shown me that, I'd love to have that on wrist and see how that goes. Because this thing, and again, I'm holding up, you know, for Greg to see. This is that uh, 
the Royal Guard mm-hmm. um, at 38 millimeters. I'd love to see how the dimensions work because this is relatively tight, but the the lug length is a little long. So, you know, it, it still has a little bit of heft to it. I'd like to see if the Tudor is kind of the same way. Yeah. Yeah, because I think people don't. They're they're all about the overtly sporty, you know, watches the uh, Pelagos and you know the Black Bays and and that kind of thing. Um, the, some of the other watches, I think, might have a lot to offer more people. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're definitely right about that. But I mean, shout out to basically the whole Feldmar fam. Always, you know, such hospitality, and uh, they just literally have everything, everything from accessible and, and affordable to, you know, <laughs> high horology and everything in between. Love those, love those, those peeps. Yeah. It's a great experience. It's, and super, uh, like low stress environment. You know, if you're, if you want to go in and look at stuff, cause you're, you know, you're a geek like us, um, they absolutely are people like us and, you know, they'll let you look at things and, and talk and not feel like, Hey, you're pressured to buy right now. The lowest of stress situations. Yeah, that's it's good stuff. Well, hey, man, we're coming up on like an hour and 15 minutes. Do you want to uh, wrap this up and get into some recommendations? I do. Why don't you go first? All right, man. Well, I got something that is uh, that is campy, but right up my street. So people who go in and know, you know, my my persona is half of this this podcast will, I think, probably get this. So I found recently this is on Prime Video. Um, and it is something called, and it, it, the, the name of the show is just super, super campy and weird, but it's, it's fun. Trust me. It's called Sea Patrol. So, you know, C S E A Sea Patrol. This is a, uh, an Australian series that debuted in the, like the late two thousands, you know, 2007, maybe. Uh, so the kind of the mid to late aughts and, Essentially what it is, is it's following a, now this is, it's not like a doc or anything like that. It's a, a, you know, a a dramatization kind of thing, but it's a Royal Australian Navy, um, patrol vote, basically a, you know, not a small vessel. It would be, you know, a, a small ship. So these are, if you can think of, you know, for people who might know anything about our Navy, so it'd be like a cyclone class something that's about half the size of the Oliver Hazard Perry frigate class from the 1980s and 90s. So, you know, instead of something that's like 300 feet long, this thing's probably 130 feet, you know, six or eight feet of displacement. It's real fast. And if you can kind of picture on the map, Australia, basically, you know, most of its population is kind of along the East Coast and kind of wrapping around the South to Melbourne. The whole top end is pretty wild. I, th- I think that's what they call it, but you know, that the, basically that upper third that spills into like the Gulf of Carpinteria and all the, the bodies of water that, you know, cross over to like Indonesia, Malaysia, that kind of thing. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of trade there. There's a lot of fishing. Um, there's a lot of illicit activity and these, this boat is out there doing, you know, kind of a, a mission that's analogous maybe to the, you know, U.S. Coast Guard mission. And, you know, doing everything from, you know, coastal patrol and rescuing people and getting into all kinds of daring do. And it's actually pretty well written. Um, and it's a, I think it's an interesting glimpse into, you know, ocean going, you know, military life at sea. It's a fun show. 
That's awesome. How did you come about this? It's one of those where, you know, the, the algorithm listens to everything, you know, when I talk in my sleep or whatever, that my phone is listening. <laughs> it's, you know, as an aside, my wife came home today. We had a conversation in the past two or three days, <clears throat> excuse me, about two very particular random subjects. And she got ads and email for both of them today. Super esoteric and, you know, completely not something that you would. And they were very, very specific advertisements. I'm like, man, they're, they're listening. Yeah. The machines are listening. <laughs> but so, yeah, says, it was one of those recommended for you things on prime. Yeah. I was, I was on a, it's probably a Netflix account the other day. And I think I, my wife had something on earlier and I don't think I realized that she had gone into like a, um, I don't know, maybe I didn't pay much attention to Netflix, but I guess there's certain, you can go into a genre, right? Like you can say, go into horror or comedy, blah, blah, whatever. She must've gone into one of the genres. I didn't realize it. I thought it was on the home screen because it looked the same, right? And it's like yeah. latest releases, uh, trending, you know, it looked like the home screen, but the whole, every single recommendation was like a horror film. And I'm like, I literally stopped. I'm like, I have to get my own Netflix profile now. I cannot have my algorithm dominated by horror films because she loves she loves horror films. I'm like, I need my own Netflix profile. I can't share this anymore. And then I, I finally realized that she was like deep into like a Netflix like search, uh, but it looked the same as the as the general um, as the general home screen. But that was just kind of an aside. Made me laugh about the the algorithm comment. Oh yeah. No, I get it for sure. That's kind of funny. I would not have thought that about your wife. Yeah, no. I mean, if you know her, yeah, it, yeah. She, it, it would make more sense probably if you, if you let her sort of expand upon what her movie interests are. Um, right on. Well, how about you, man? Notes. Uh, so I've got a movie, and maybe I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll get into it now because we don't want to talk about it later because it'll be sort of past its expiration date but um actually let me start with that first i was in fort lauderdale uh, two weeks ago and uh a lot of fun traveling solo uh actually out to see what will be my future brother-in-law and we had a couple of great meals by the way um hanging around sort of the very happening area of fort lauderdale right los olas boulevard i guess which kind of is the touristy but also the most active part of the city. We ate a uh, Italian at a place called Louis Bossi, Louis Bossi, super good. And we had a, uh, a Mexican at El Camino and ordered uh tequila cabal for the whole group, which was really cool nice. to see sort of a Los Angeles based, but of course, you know, tequila, uh, Tequila Jalisco centric brand, but local guys who we've had on the show. So it was really cool to, to order a, a round of tequila cabal for everybody. Uh, but great food there as well. But my closing note is I finally got a chance to see the air movie. So that's the Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Viola Davis, Chris Tucker, sort of, you know, what would you call that? Not documentary, it, it but sort of, of like a, a docudrama docudrama that's the way to put it you know about sort of the uh michael jordan coming to nike you know the story behind that i have to say i was i didn't have super high expectations i don't know why i love basketball i don't want to talk about the 76ers 
Um, I love basketball. I loved shoes throughout my 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 life. I'm not a big sneakerhead right now, but it's sort of in my wheelhouse. Uh, but for some reason, I don't know that I could just get my head around the presentation. Uh, very pleasantly surprised. The movie is, in my estimation, very enjoyable. Um, a little more, not giving anything away here, Matt Damon's character is Sonny Vaccaro, who's this sort of legendary figure in Nike and then down the road, Adidas and basketball sort of sneaker culture, summer camp, you know, basketball player development environment. Um, so Matt Damon's character, Sonny Vaccaro, it's, it's very heliocentric on him. So I guess I expected it a little bit more well-rounded. Maybe there was sort of some sort of Michael Jordan and his family, Viola Davis has a very big part in it, and, and it's it's clear that she's the sort of matriarch uh, in, in terms of the way this story was told. But super great, uh, fun movie to watch if you're into basketball, if you're into sneakers. If, if you're not, quite frankly, it was pretty just watchable in general. There's not a lot of basketball. It's really just a, a you know, sort of a dramatic story. And um, you see Nike in a different in a different light. You know, they're in a different place in time at that point. And they were not the behemoth that they are now. And uh, so, yeah, check it out. I think it's only been out for about a month or so. It's on Prime. So if you're a Prime member, uh, because I guess it's an Amazon production, it's already available on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I did see that, actually. That was one of those things I'm going to have to, uh, you know, watch when the kids are to bed or, and that kind of thing, because that's not up their alley at all. But I do want to see that. I There's a, a perverse part of me that just likes to see, you know, Affleck and Damon together on screen because they're you know, they're just interesting dudes in that regard. <laughs> like, okay, how is this going to look? It's going to be either, you know, really good or, you know, kind of schlocky, but I'll watch it. That looks cool. I was it's the same exact, it's the same mentality I had. It was late. I was up. I didn't feel like going to bed yet. And it was just on prime. And I'm like, Oh, I think that just came out not even just a month ago, which it was. And so, yeah, I just uh, let it ride. Um, Affleck is Phil Knight is pretty good. You know, Damon's pretty like very good. Um, I mean, it's hard to go wrong. I mean, those guys, I don't know, say for whatever it's worth, they they tend to put out pretty good movies. Did you ever see Triple Frontier from like two years ago? Triple Frontier? No. Yeah, I, I, maybe I'm hoping I have that right. But that's um, Ben Affleck is in that Pedro Pascal, um, some other, you know, relatively heavy hitters. It's basically uh, some oh, kind Charlie of Charlie Hunter. Up- yeah, 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 yeah. A very different for Ben Affleck. You know what? I've come around on Ben Affleck a little bit. Uh, we're going way off. Me the too. Here, he. Um, I, I like him. Uh, well, I mean, I like him as an actor. I think he's a very actually a pretty good director and a producer too. Um, I don't know. I think anything he puts out is pretty good. It's hard to it's hard to argue with almost most of the things recently. Yeah, well, like you said, a little tangential, but kind of cool. That that might be something you could watch. But anyhow, well, dude, that's good suggestions. Um, I'll definitely have to watch Air soon because that's something that uh, I watched The Martian again recently, and you know, maybe that's why. So now it's like at the top of my watch list, Air. So we'll have to give it a whirl. But in the meantime, what do you, you think? Know who Is would like it too? By the way, oh, good. Mike and Balash over at Fratello. I'm sure that's right up their alley. Oh, a hundred percent. Dude, we've got to, we've had Mike on before. We have to have Balash on. Yeah. It'd be a lot of fun. 
Yeah, totally. Totally. I'd love to actually sort of meet that guy through the, uh, the miracle of, well, whatever this technology is, but that would be super cool. It would, it would. Well, this has right been fun, on, man. I think you've been, you've been sort of, uh, willing us to, to do the, the bond cocktail episode. I'm so glad you did. I'm excited to see what everybody else says, uh, on the other pods and, and everybody that listens, we'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Um, we'll have to get something on the site. Maybe people can comment too. Maybe we'll throw our cocktails up on the, uh, spirit of time website. And, uh, and we'll, of course we'll throw it on Instagram too, and love to see the comments. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I'm jokingly, but it's kind of true. I mean, I can't really stand vodka in real life. So it's always sort of galled me that he's a vodka martini guy. I'm like, no, you drink those with gin, dude. Yeah. But any uh, any spirit, any spirit that you wish not to taste is not quite the spirit for me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) Nailed it. Nailed it. That's a good way to put it. Well, hey, dude, why don't we have that profound thought be our final sip? Cheers to the return of the cocktail matchmaker. Cheers to you, buddy. Take care. Good to see you, Greg. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at Spirit of Time Podcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.